You're with John Cleary on ABC Local Radio and on Radio Australia. At the start of this Refugee Week to Afghanistan, where Ahmad Shuja works in the Asia Division of the international non-government organisation Human Rights Watch. His principal concern is the fate of those who return to Afghanistan from countries such as Australia. And he's in Australia as part of a panel at the Sydney Film Festival on the film Sunita. He's talking with Noel DeBean. And Noel began by asking if Sunita is a real person. Absolutely. I'm here for the Sydney Film Festival, but also to use this opportunity to meet some Australian government officials and discuss with them um, some issues of human rights concern in Afghanistan, including issues that are portrayed in Sonita the film. Um, Sonita the film is about an Afghan rapper, an 18-year-old Afghan rapper, a refugee in Iran, actually, who can't go to a regular school because Afghans who are undocumented in Iran can't go to Iranian schools. And it's an incredible story of the power of persistence and courage that this woman displays in in the face of insurmountable odds, not just from her status as an undocumented refugee, but also as a woman who is being forced to marry. When you say an undocumented refugee, how many of these are there, roughly, in your guess, from Afghanistan, in a place like Iran? Let's start there. Statistics vary, but but in Iran, there's about between two and a half to three million Afghan refugees living, Um, some of them documented, some of them undocumented. There's about 250 to 300,000 documented Afghans living in Iran, and a lot of them are losing their documented or legal status in Iran precisely because every year the renewal of the residency takes place um, in a smaller window of time. The fees for the renewal go up and the places where you can go to renew these licenses diminish and shrink and become fewer every year. And so the system is designed to discourage renewal, to encourage people to go back into undocumented status in Iran. There were, I think, in 2015, a lot of forced repatriations to Afghanistan from all sorts of countries. I believe the last year there have been less. Is that true? And if it's true, why have there been less forced repatriations? In 2015, there's been repatriations from from Europe. There's been repatriations from a number of other Western countries in addition to Iran and Pakistan. The Afghan government is under immense pressure from its European supporters to accept um, deportees from Europe. Under that pressure, the Afghan government has actually struggled to form a coherent position and do a coherent set of messaging around that position. The Ministry of Refugees and Repatriation has been against forced deportations. The president has been a little bit more equivocal uh, about that, more doubtful on the fence, because strong, powerful donor countries like Germany has been putting pressure on the president to accept these forced deportees to Afghanistan. In Iran and Pakistan, um, repatriations in Iran are, are predominantly, mostly, overwhelmingly deportations. 
And the deportations are traumatic experiences because if you're a child, you get plucked out of the streets and you get thrown into the deportation process and you're expected to pay your way through it. Um, if you're a worker and you've been if you've been arrested or taken from your workplace, you've, you're not given an opportunity to close your accounts, to pack your stuff and then get deported. They just throw you into the deportation process and then you're expected to pay your way through even if you haven't been paid your paycheck uh, for the work that you've done. What's happening lately in the deportation process is that the Shia Afghans are separated from the Sunni Afghans and then given the option of fighting in Syria, in which case they will not be deported and in which case they will get paid 500 to $700 a month as salary and in which case their families also have a pathway towards uh, permanent residency in Iran. So, so these are the Shia being enlisted into the Iranian army, are they, to fight on the side of the Shias in Syria? Is that what you're saying? These are these are um, Shia Afghans um, who are being encouraged to fight uh, as a paramilitary force organized, paid for, and trained by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. Last time we spoke, you left this country, and I think the day you arrived back there was an earthquake as well. So we're not only talking about forced repatriations and the situation of people within Afghanistan, we're talking about the security and safety of Afghanistan itself too. How bad was the damage there? I think we got reports of maybe 100 and something people being killed within um, the area of Afghanistan itself. It was a very strong earthquake and it happened the very moment when I got back home and sat for lunch. So it was a very unfortunate timing, but it was... um, the earthquake was 7.2 or 7.4. The scales oh. differ just a little bit, but the damage uh, was thankfully less extensive than could have been expected from an earthquake that strong in a country like Afghanistan where construction standards aren't exactly enforced. And so even then, uh, damage in a lot of rural areas was extensive in that a lot of mud brick houses were destroyed. A lot of people were left homeless. A number were injured and or killed. But there were a number of aftershocks, uh, 6.5, 5.5, maybe 10 to 15 in the months following that initial earthquake. But the earthquakes are just another reminder of a type of natural disaster that is contributing to the internally displaced population in Afghanistan. Mm. Um, The IDPs in Afghanistan are over a million, close to a million and a half, predominantly because of the conflict. And these people are forced to flee their villages, to flee their towns, to flee their districts, to go to safer areas inside of Afghanistan. So before they hit Australian shores, before they actually land as refugees and asylum seekers in Turkey and Germany and, and, and Sweden, they are actually internally displaced. And this internal displacement uh, has given rise to a crisis in Afghanistan because they're not getting any support from the Afghan government and getting only very limited support because of funding constraints from uh, UNHCR and other organizations. So the picture you're painting is the entire population of Newcastle, which is roughly it's just over a million, I think, is displaced somewhere inside Afghanistan. They've had to move for all sorts of different security reasons. And it sounds like already the infrastructure and the ability of the nation to take care of those people who are there is not, shall we say, strong. Absolutely. That's the right way to put it, because the Afghan government is facing or has been facing a cash crunch. Um, The Afghan government faces 
problems of, of, of capacity, of, of scale to be able to help as many people uh, because they're scattered in large areas and some of them have and, and, uh, you know, settled in, in urban areas and they're called urban settlements, which is technically not uh, an internally displaced person, but for all intents and purposes, they have been uprooted from their families, from their areas of residence, from their homes, and from their jobs, from their schools. And when you settle in an urban area, you're not technically counted as an IDP, you're an urban settler, but you don't have access to any of the services that, I, that an IDP is, is entitled to, but which may or may not be uh, delivered to them. Uh, have you been into these areas where people have settled? Have you had a chance to look at it yourself? Yes, we've spoken to a lot of IDPs out uh, in the outskirts of Kabul, but also north in the northern province of Kunduz and uh, the northern province of Baghlan. Uh, a lot of these people are farmers and they're displaced from their farms because there was a period of conflict, say a week or 10 days, um, and because of which they couldn't continue to uh, tend to their to the crops, and so they've lost the year's crops. And these people work in ca- in conditions of subsistence agriculture. If you can't have a crop this year, you then basically have nothing to eat. Right. And so the conflict is 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 driving people into economic deprivation, which is leading to them to become IDPs and in some cases refugees. And so there's been some debate in Europe that Afghan refugees are economic migrants. But that is misleading at best and and incorrect because the conflict is intimately connected with the economic problems that these refugees face as they go uh, to outside of Afghanistan. Interesting you say that because, um, of course, we've had reports here of, of our own government, the Australian government, spending, I think, $6 million, it was, of taxpayers' money making an anti-asylum film which was distributed in Afghanistan and the movie went on Afghan TV. I wonder if you saw it. I absolutely did, yes. And how did it come across? What was it trying to do? It, the the idea is not very much different from the billboards, the internet ads, the oh, Facebook ads. Yeah, the uh, billboards are well known here, yeah. Very well known. Uh, I, I'd hope so. Uh, and the Facebook ads and internet ads trying to convey a sense that A, the journey is extremely dangerous mm-hmm. and B, that you will not be resettled in Australia and C, you should not even attempt this journey that was fraught with danger that is conducted by people smugglers who are um, out there to extort your money for a process that may or may not result in settlement to Australia for you. But the problem is that the circumstances that these people are fleeing are dire. And if you are denying them this exit strategy out of Afghanistan and your motivation is to save lives at sea, then the rational alternative would be to provide legal, safe pathways of resettlement to Australia from Afghanistan so these people don't have to take the boat journeys or the perilous land journeys to Europe and then through Turkey and and Greece. And Australia doesn't do that. The movie that Australia's made sounds like it's not showing Australia as a holiday destination. Far from it. I think that's fair to say. Deadly, deadly journey. And when you get here, you'll be locked up. But what you've described of Afghanistan itself so far sounds like it's a place under great stress itself. You spoke to us last time about sticky bombs, bombs being put onto cars, that there was not only, you know, the stress of having large numbers of people who were displaced, 
but there was still a, an issue with simple security of, of bombs being used. Is that still ongoing six months later? The sticky bombs have actually not just proliferated, they've graduated into being stuck not just to the vehicles of the police, but now also to the vehicles of, of government officials who are civilians and to uh, trash cans on the sides of the road and put in, in sewers whereby they try to uh, target any, any unsuspected potential target walking down the street. And the problem with that is that it, 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 it's a bomb it's, uh, and, and it can get a lot of other civilians who are not your target um, and create an atmosphere of, of unsafety. How present and influential are the Taliban now? Because we hear of talks to integrate them into government. How aware are you of them as you live in Kabul? And how um, has that advanced or otherwise, the discussion with Taliban themselves? The Taliban make their presence felt in Kabul by regular bombings, be they sticky bombs or regular bombs or rockets that they dispatch onto the population. You're aware of the Taliban's presence because all roads, most roads leading out of Kabul to anywhere else in Afghanistan are dangerous or risky or could expose you to levels of risk um, that you're probably not prepared to take. And the Taliban are present now in more provinces than they have ever been since 2001 when they were ousted. They are controlling more provinces than or districts than they ever were since 2001. And they're contesting in more districts uh, for control than they were since 2001. And in this environment, there were efforts to strike a peace agreement with the Taliban, uh, which have so far yielded very little or in fact no tangible results and have failed in in their last iteration. It sounds like there's not progress in terms of peacemaking between the government and the Taliban Absolutely not, unfortunately. Tomorrow happens to be International World Refugee Refugee Day. It's been Refugee Week. Um, what were you hoping to achieve in your talks with uh, Australian officials here? And have you achieved what you hoped? We're hoping to go to Canberra on Friday and speak with some um, defence official folks, uh, some folks at DFAT. And part of the purpose is for me to brief them about the conditions of of the people in Afghanistan and to hopefully give them a picture of the fact that the conditions are more dire than they have ever been. I'll give you a number of statistics based on which you can make your own judgment. A, uh, 2009 was the year when, when, when the UN began compiling statistics of civilian casualties. So every year, year upon year since 2009, civilian casualties, including women and children at home in the villages in mosques and in schools have increased. So this year, we've had the highest rate of civilian casualties ever. Year upon year since 2009, conflict has spread into more areas than they have ever had. Year upon year, there is less international support for the civilian population of the last couple of years. There's a drawdown. And so in, in this climate, where the government's control is being uh, clearly challenged and where civilian casualties are going up, the international community, including Australia, is actually planning to send more Afghans back to Afghanistan, which we think is counterintuitive and makes very little sense. Last time we spoke to you, just over six months ago, I asked you about your own sense of personal safety in Kabul. You live there. 
And I wonder if you wouldn't mind telling us six months later, better, worse, the same, because you were talking about not even walking terribly freely through Kabul six months ago. For the most part, for me, I've been keeping the same routine, uh, try not to walk very much on the streets, uh, try to take a cab. Um, I use a trusted cab company that I can book via my iPhone app. Uh, those services are are great because they, they facilitate um, so much convenience, but also safety, mm. uh, which I've discovered this company um, quite recently, actually. So that's that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is that we have been we have actually since we last spoke, we've actually shifted, moved from one apartment to another, partly as a security consideration. And before I came to Australia, I was supposed to shift the family to another destination, another another part of town. But that didn't come through because of logistical reasons. And so when I go back this time, I will do another shift to a different uh, section of town. Ahmad Shujar, a research assistant from the Asia Division of the International Non-Government Organization Human Rights Watch, and a friend of the program. Thank you for being part of Sunday Nights again. Thank you for having me.